Brought to you by the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver. Standards Matter, a podcast about professionalism and accountability in real estate. The following scenario is inspired by a real professional conduct case. Some details have been altered for storytelling purposes, and we've removed all identifying information to respect the privacy of those involved. It was 2 a.m., and Aisha Kaplan was awake. Thoughts of her future swirled through her head. It was happening, her childhood dream. Ever since her first trip to Istanbul as a teen, when she had first tried her grandfather's Turkish coffee recipe, Aisha had wanted to open her own cafe in Vancouver. For years, she had been working, learning, and saving, and now it was finally time to make her dreams come true. After months of searching, her realtor Paul had found a franchise chain cafe for sale off Fraser Street. The lease was reasonable, and since it was already a cafe, Aisha wouldn't have to spend much to make it perfect. It was an up-and-coming neighborhood, and nearby condos under construction meant there'd be a sizable potential customer base. After viewing the unit, Aisha and Paul made an offer. And six hours later, Aisha was staring at her ceiling, imagining herself behind the counter pouring rich, thick brew like her grandfather. But little did she know that in another six hours, her dreams would be dashed and her realtor Paul would be making a complaint to the board's professional standards department. Welcome to the Standards Mattered podcast, brought to you by the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver. I'm your host, Andrea Westaway. In each episode, we explore scenarios inspired by real professional conduct and arbitration cases to give you practical insight on how to strengthen professionalism in real estate and serve your clients better. Our professional standards advisors vet and approve all information in this podcast. This episode, we look at due diligence and how misrepresenting your listing is at best unhelpful to your client and at worst, fraud. Now, back to the case. Gareth Hamill had been selling real estate with the SFT Group for a decade, and the excitement of helping people find their perfect home was wearing off. He still enjoyed his work, but he was restless and wanted to try something different. He spoke to some commercial realtors in his office and thought moving to that side of the profession would be a good fit for him. He liked the variety, the culture, and the opportunity to learn a new way of doing business. After taking some courses, Gareth felt confident enough to start. He'd only been through a handful of transactions before Lauren Dunn reached out, interested in using his services. Lauren had owned the City Bean franchise on Fraser Street for longer than Gareth had been licensed. In fact, Gareth met Lauren while he was studying for his licensing exam all those years ago. Since then, he'd helped her sell her home and they'd stayed in touch. Lauren knew Gareth was getting into commercial, so when she decided to give up her cafe, he was her first call. It was an easy sale, Gareth thought. It was a profitable business that had a couple of years left on the lease a turnkey operation for a savvy investor. Lauren was only giving up on her beloved City Bean because her mother back east had fallen ill. Because of the stress of her personal life, Lauren was much less organized than Gareth had remembered. It was like pulling teeth to get the information he needed to list the property. Eventually, he asked for her lease and franchise agreements. 
He knew these documents would have what he needed, and it was good to have copies for potential buyers to review. But this request frustrated Lauren. She felt uncomfortable sharing this information. She had negotiated a better fee with Citybean than other franchises in the area, and she didn't want that knowledge to come out and hurt her relationship with her colleagues. She also didn't like the idea of her contact details, which were on the lease, being public knowledge. Gareth, too, was frustrated, but he knew how difficult her life had been since her mother became ill. She had been flying back and forth from Toronto nearly every week, and the jet lag and lack of sleep was catching up to her. He decided to trust her on the details of the lease and the franchise agreement and came up with a compromise. He wouldn't provide the documentation until they received an offer. Lauren agreed, and the marketing process began. Gareth put as much information as he could into the listing, but he didn't mention the agreement that he and Lauren had worked out. While it made sense to him, it might be a red flag for potential buyers. If an interested buyer reached out, it would be easier in his mind to tell them the circumstances in person. After a week of marketing, Gareth got a bite. Paul at Vec & Co Realty called on behalf of a client looking to buy a coffee shop. The buyer had financing and was motivated. Gareth sprang into action, offering to show the unit. Paul was a little hesitant and asked for the lease and franchise documents. The request deflated Gareth, but he kept a bright and cheery tone. He explained the situation, hoping it would be good enough for Paul. That really should have gone into the realtor remarks, Paul sighed. A hot flush fell over Gareth's face. He knew it should have, but instead of admitting his mistake, he claimed that it was an oversight, mentioning that he was new to commercial real estate and assured Paul he'd update it soon. Gareth laid on the charm enough to smooth things over. He set up a showing for the next day. Gareth met Paul before the showing to go over some details. Paul again confirmed the square footage, then asked a few other questions. Was there a demolition clause? How long was left on the lease? Why was the owner selling? Gareth answered as best he could. Just before Paul's client Aisha arrived, Paul asked one more question. Is there anything about the franchise agreement we should know about? Gareth was confused. Paul explained his client was looking to open her own cafe, not take over a City Bean location. Paul knew from experience that City Bean often tied the franchise agreement and the lease agreement together. Gareth thought back to his conversation with Lauren. She didn't mention anything like that. In fact, she had said her franchise agreement was stronger than others in the area. Gareth explained this to Paul. He seemed satisfied. Aisha arrived soon after. Gareth had sold enough homes to know when someone was legitimately interested in buying. And he was right. It wasn't long before he received an offer from Paul, along with the request for the lease and franchise agreements. Gareth called Lauren, who scanned and sent the documents. Gareth, without looking them over, forwarded them to Paul. He then went over the offer with Lauren. It was a good offer, but Lauren wanted time to think about it. Gareth agreed. Besides, Paul seemed like a thorough guy and he'd likely want to read through the agreements with his client. Gareth told her he'd call her tomorrow. It was 6.30 the next morning when a buzz of Gareth's phone interrupted his morning run. It was Paul. Gareth, huffing and puffing, answered with a cheery hello. Hello? Really? Paul's voice cracked through Gareth's earbuds. Gareth was confused. Is everything okay? Gareth asked. That's when Paul let him have it. The unit was nearly 200 square feet smaller than what was listed on the MLS. There was a demolition clause, and most egregiously, the lease was tied to the franchise agreement. Gareth's heart sunk. 
he didn't realize he was that far off base. He told Paul he'd tell his seller not to agree to the offer, but that wasn't enough for Paul. You'll be hearing from the board, Paul said as the call disconnected. Gareth took a second to process what happened. Catching his breath, he knew he was in some serious trouble. Investigation and consent to discipline. REBGV's Professional Conduct Committee investigative panel reviewed the case. They found that Gareth had violated three articles of the Realtor Code. Article 3, which states, A realtor shall protect and promote the interests of his or her client. This primary obligation does not relieve the realtor of the responsibility of dealing fairly with all parties in the transaction. Article 4, which states, A realtor has an obligation to discover facts pertaining to a property which a prudent realtor would discover in order to avoid error or misrepresentation. And Article 13, which states, All advertising and promotion of property shall accurately reflect property and other details and prominently display the name of the brokerage and any additional information required by provincial regulation. In addition, Gareth had violated three sections of the Rules of Cooperation. Section 3.06, which states it is the responsibility of every member to provide to other members clear, accurate, and factual information concerning any listing by such member. Section 3.19, which states contingent listings will be processed by the MLS when such contingency is stated in the listing contract and noted in the realtor remarks. The responsibility for submitting details of a contingency or unusual condition on any listing shall be the responsibility of the listing brokerage. And Section 8.01, which states, Members shall not advertise in any manner that is false or misleading, prohibited by law or restricted by the seller. The only question that remained was, what's the appropriate punishment? The Professional Conduct Committee uses concepts of natural justice to determine a fair course of action. In this situation, they weighed the seriousness of the infringements with Garrett's lack of knowledge and track record. They decided that, in addition to a hefty fine, that Gareth was to attend three specific courses to further educate him in the responsibilities of a commercial realtor in a transaction and in advertising a listing. he take these courses at his expense. Gareth consented. sat down with our ethics guy, Kim Spencer, to discuss what Gareth could have done differently in this situation and how realtors can avoid issues around inaccurate listing information. So Kim, it's clear that Gareth should have confirmed the lease and franchise details with his client. How can a realtor deal with a client who may be hesitant to provide vital information like this? I think there's a quote that's relevant. I I often say it. Um, Ben Franklin said, drive thy business or it will drive thee. In other words, yes, we take instructions from our client. Yes, we work for them. We're their servant and so forth. But if you don't control your client, and I don't mean that in a bad way, if, if you're not, you know, driving the bus, you get into situations where the client gives you instructions that put you offside with 
with professional standards, and we see that with complaints quite often, or they can end up getting into a situation where they're offside legally or offside with the regulator, which is even worse. Mm -hmm. So this kind of starts with Gareth not reading the right act to his client. Right. You know, like, I can't list your property without that information. Mm -hmm. We're not going to list it and then wait for an offer and provide that information because the risks are too high. There are risks, uh, professional risks for me, mm -hmm. and there's professional risks, or there's risks for you as a seller. It puts you in legal harm's way if someone says that the property was misrepresented. Right. Yeah, not great. So the square footage of a listing is such a key part of how much it's worth. If a listing realtor doesn't know the actual square footage, is it okay for them to estimate it as long as they say it's an estimate? Uh, no. <laughs> What's that for a nice short answer? <laughs> short, short answer. You know, it's kind of funny because in the rules of cooperation, well, it's not funny. It's There is a rule related to accurate information being required in the listing. And I think we referenced that in, mm -hmm. in the debrief from the committee. I think it's section three. I forget which number it is. But there is a paragraph in that rule that's written in uppercase. <laughs> okay, so we all know that uppercase means someone is shouting or speaking mm -hmm. in a loud all voice. Caps. Yeah, all caps. And and so this is your board in all caps saying you will put accurate information into the system. You won't guess. Professionals don't guess. Right. Right. It's up to you to be professional and make sure that those numbers are absolutely accurate. Yeah, and it's a reputational issue for the individual. It's a risk management issue with the regulator and the board for, for the individual member. It's a risk to the client. It's a risk to the professional reputation of the MLS system and our profession in general. You know, people think, <clears throat> I mean, you can argue, and there's different business models, but, you know, the perception out there in public land is that real estate agents make a lot of money. So... When someone just guesses at a basic piece of information like that and, and it gets published, what are people thinking about that? They go, what? Those guys make a lot of money and they can't check that information out? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Right. So, I mean, I, I guess we mostly covered it, but if you put in the realtor remark something like measurements are approximate, buyer must confirm square footage, doesn't that cover you? Yeah, well, that's one of those motherhood statements. If it, if it makes you happy... <laughs> Gang, keep putting that in there. But at the end of the day, that kind of statement isn't really worth all that much if a judge is making a decision as to, well, you're the professional mm -hmm. and you proceeded with a guess or you didn't check that information. The BCFSA has the same sort of thing in its mind. And the defense that you would say is, well, I told them it was, you know, they should check. Well, okay, yeah, the buyer's agent should check. There is an obligation, sure. an equal obligation for buyer's agents to check this information. But it's not all on the buyer's agent. You put incorrect information in that listing, you're responsible for it. And putting a statement like that in realtor remarks, that's nice. Go ahead. <laughs> if it makes you feel fine, go ahead. It's not wrong. Mm -hmm. I just don't want you to the members to invest a lot of thought in thinking, well, that will protect me. It won't. Right. So if this sale had gone through and the buyer then found out after completion that the square footage or any other listing detail was incorrect, do they have recourse? 
Of course. They have recourse against the other party to the contract of purchase and sale because now they bought something that was misrepresented to them and they will allege that the seller misrepresented the information. The seller may turn around or the lessor may turn around and go, um, well, my agent did that. So they third party the agent in there. And, and, and then the injured party may third party their own agent into it saying, why didn't you check this yourself? Right. So there's a lot of finger pointing going on and everyone gets dragged in. And basically the, the judge sorts it out mm-hmm. and the, the, the BCFSA sorts it out. And your colleagues, our colleagues on the professional conduct committee sort it out against that backdrop of the rules. Mm-hmm. Now, Just as a sidebar, I often say this, but it's worth saying that at least half of the legal claims made against real estate agents involve at least one allegation of misrepresentation. Mm. I mean, like, it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. It happens all the time. So we need to be really vigilant about that. And sort of a statement saying, well, you you should check this. It just doesn't fly with what members want, which is we want to be looked at as being more professional Right. So how does that support the notion of us being more professional when you guess at a piece of vital information like that and maybe a buyer's agent doesn't check? In this case, they couldn't. Right. But it's not great. No. So what advice would you give to a residential realtor who might want to start selling commercial real estate? What can they do to avoid making mistakes like this one? Sure. Well, I was thinking about when I was brand new and how much I didn't know. Right. Which was everything. (laughs) Like most of us when we start something new. Exactly. Exactly. What you don't know. It's like being a a child in a way. Um, And it's it's good that you don't know what you don't know, because if you did know what you don't know, you would never do anything, would you? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So um, if I can suggest, there's a good reason why lawyers, young, uh, brand new lawyers article. Mm -hmm. There's a good reason why often newer people will go onto a team. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, And that is because you need to watch and see what um, people who are experienced in that field do. Mm -hmm. And commercial real estate is a different field. It's the same legislation. It's the same realtor code, the same rules of cooperation. But the practices and customs are very different. The expectations are very different. The people who buy and sell commercial real estate have different expectations. So you're licensed to do that now. Right. Just not a great idea. <laughs> it's, it's a really bad idea. Mm-hmm. It's like driving a streetcar, uh, like a normal vehicle on the roads, and then someone sticking you into a racing car and putting you out on the track. Right. You, you, you have a driver's license, but it's, yeah. Yeah, technically you, you could. You need to sit in that passenger seat for a while. <laughs> right. Do you have any other pieces of advice relating to this before we wrap up? Um, not really, except that, you know... I don't want members to think when they read these professional conduct cases that, you know, make a quick judgment as to the, the competence of the other person. These these things look, you know, quite bad on paper, but the context and the nuance of of what happened, um, they're often very human failings. People, right. are, people are busy or, you know, they kind of give up or they let their client drive the bus and mm-hmm. they end up in these situations it's not because someone's inherently evil or mm-hmm. absolutely careless. I mean, there are situations like that, but sure. they're really rare. Uh, so you don't want to be judged by your colleagues by this kind of file being published to members. It's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. So just check the information. Right. And if the client won't give it to you, have a think about whether or not you want that listing. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Well, fantastic. Thank you so much, Kim. Very enlightening. And we will uh, we'll talk to you next time. Okay. Have a great day. Thank you. That's a wrap on episode six of Standards Matter. I've been your host, Andrea Westaway. We plan to regularly produce new segments to engage you in conversations about standards, accountability, and professionalism in real estate. If you have questions for us, reach out on REBGV's member Facebook group or shoot us an email at standardsmatter at rebgv.org. For more information on professionalism, including our conduct and arbitration cases, visit our member website at www.rebgv.ca. On behalf of the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver, thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Standards Matter. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Brought to you by the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver.